What's up, everybody? It's another edition of Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network. I'm J.D. Bunkus. He's Donovan Bennett. I'm still not back in the city. I don't know when I'm going to come back to the city. How is life in the city? Have you been to a patio, Donovan Bennett? I mean, other than my own rooftop patio, no. I'm, I'm not that desperate to be served by strangers, so I'm oh. just going to keep it local. I just want to know what it's like. I just want to know what it's like with the masks and the, the distancing and, and the protocols and whether they get a little bit looser as the as the day goes on and the people have a few. Like, I'm, I'm curious. I am curious to see how how the city bounces back from this and, and how they start to look because we talked about it last week, how, you know, you track the stats right now and Toronto stats and Ontario stats have been going in a great direction and obviously got to keep it safe still. But yeah, I, I, I'm excited to kind of feel that little bit of normalcy when I come back, even if it doesn't mean going to Blue Jays games, which are kind of a regular for me in the summer. Can I come to your rooftop patio? Uh, I mean, you're not in my circle of 10, so you oh. can, you just have to, <laughs> you have to socially distance. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, um, Florida and Arizona's, uh, stats were in a great direction too. Yeah. And then they got, they got super, uh, liberal with their phase reopening and, and liberal, I mean, um, you know, it was conservatives making liberal decisions and now, now they're not in a great spot. So, um, I think, uh, I think I'm good for a patio uh, Listen. for now. We're, we, uh, we've done a lot of discussions recently about how coronavirus is going to affect the NBA's return. In fact, it's been a part of every single one of our podcasts recently. And today we do want to focus on the NBA released the schedule um, for its return to play, its regular season games. We're going to get to the Raptors implications in just a second. All I will say is that it, it's not as easy to be excited about this stuff. And I know how I felt when I saw the schedule. I immediately started jotting down thoughts and you know, going to our shared document and writing out some topics and, and looking up some, some statistics and just trying to remember where we left off when, when the season ended because it's always been looking forward, looking forward, and it hasn't been a lot of looking back. But when you see stuff like there's 9,000 cases in a day. Was it 9,000 or 8,000? Do you know in Florida the other day? It was just under 9,000. It was yeah. 8,009 plus. Yeah, when you see that, it's hard to just be like, we're back, baby. <laughs> we're definitely coming back. Because at some point, there's got to be a tip here where the league looks at this and says, I don't think that we can do anything about the amount of service staff that's coming in here and and keeping it safe if the numbers continue to trend this way. Because yeah, it's... Like it's in Florida and I don't know, we're supposed to see, what is it? It's supposed to be two weeks and you're supposed to start to see the, cl- the curve come down. It's been pretty consistently going up in that area now. And we can hear the stuff about how it's all not in really the Orlando region as it is much in Miami. But yeah, this, this stuff still does have the, the caveat of nothing is certain here. So if we do this podcast and we look like asses uh, for even believing there could be a season, um, I guess I'm sorry. Yeah, 568%. That's the increase from the beginning of the month uh, to now. So 29,000 new cases uh, of COVID in Florida in the last seven days. So those numbers are not good. And yeah, I mean, some people have said, you know, the numbers could go the other way, whatever. But they don't just go the other way on their own. You need legislation. You need changes in in procedures. And that, um, from all accounts in Florida, is not uh, the case. I've just been, because I like to entertain myself, just scrolling like the hashtag Karen's Gone Wild. And there are so many Karens who are just losing it at people 
for, I don't know, suggesting they wear a mask inside Trader Joe's. So the fact that social distancing and mask wearing is literally a political football in an election year in the U.S. and specifically in what is often a red state in Florida lets me know that the situation in Orlando is probably not going to get any better uh, in the near future. So if you're in the NBA, you're just basically knocking on wood and hoping that you don't have a a surge amongst the staff serving your players Mm. or amongst your players. Because in the over 100-page document, as much as it tells you that cards need to be disposed of after a game and that you can play ping pong or table tennis, depending on who's calling the name of the game, but no you doubles. can't play du- doubles because no that's doubles. that's too much. Of all those things, there's no indication on, well, what's the number of cases on a team that is too many? Is it two? Is it three? Is it five, but only five rotation players? So if the 13th man is one of the five, that doesn't count. I, if, if I was the commissioner, I would just say it's a percentage of the cap. If you reach 40% of your cap, we're shutting it down. And so, like, that could be LeBron at a max level and, mm. like, a rookie, like a free agent that might get you over 40. And I, I say this facetiously, but I actually am serious as to how big of a player or spread on a team is it going to necessitate for us to take a real good look at things and, uh, God forbid, something worse like a hospitalization or or even a death. And that's not even factoring okay, well, how many, like, support staff count? If you lose three assistant coaches, is that equal to one player? Is uh, a trainer and a masseuse, is that a two-way player? Like, how are we doing the calculus? Nobody's stopping for a masseuse. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) They're not going to tell LeBron, hey, man, um, sorry you came all the way down here, but uh, a couple masseuse, they, uh, how do you say, what's the plural for masseuse? Masseuse? Is it like geese? Masseuses? Massage therapist? (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's that's a cop out, but I'll I'll allow it. Uh, you just made me think about something too, which is uh, a thought I've been having recently, just in terms of all this return to play stuff, because we see the schedule and okay, I, I'm trying to think about wh- the way to f- properly frame this before we get into the Raptor schedule stuff. I promise we will deliver on this. Do you think that this is this is basically about LeBron at this point? Like, if LeBron decided he wasn't going, are we even doing this? And if LeBron was to get sick, is he just the, the main guy where all of a sudden, like, it doesn't matter about the caps or team by team. It's just simply what happens to LeBron James, that this is way more about LeBron than than we give it, you know, than, than we really even think. I mean, Chris Paul is the godfather of one of LeBron's kids. So uh, it, Chris Paul's not negotiating in the same way with Adam Silver if LeBron isn't in his ear saying we really need to play and vice versa. So, I mean, I guess no, but I also think that if it weren't for LeBron, you could say a lot of things. If it weren't for LeBron, I don't necessarily know if the topic of having social causes on players' jerseys is even broached. Like, do we not know that more than an athlete is going to be the the slogan on LeBron's jersey? Uh, Because there's going to be probably like 50 guys with Black Lives Matter on their jerseys or defund the police on on their jerseys. So, I I mean, I I think if not LeBron, there's like a long list of things that I think are current cases in the NBA. It's crazy though. So this is the, this month is the 10-year anniversary to LeBron's the decision. And it's crazy how you've seen 
his power shift over that period where he was crushed for being the person who said, yeah, I'm like big enough to have my own special on ESPN where I'm getting all of the ad revenue. I'm giving money to the Boys and Girls Club and I'm, I'm basically doing a recruiting special like I'm an SEC fullback. And now it's shifted where he doesn't even really have to say anything. His power is just understood. He comes up with this idea of more than a vote to get people to vote. And all the, the top players in the league are like, yep, count me in. I'm on board. I'm going to do the press for you. He, he's so powerful. He doesn't have to really even speak uh, other than tweeting support for Bubba Wallace. And what he kind of says goes. He's, I, I honestly think he's more powerful than Adam Silver at this point. Oh, I, I don't think there's any debate about that. I, I completely agree with you. I This is a podcast for a different day, but just hearing you speak about LeBron, uh, again, hit something that I've been thinking about for a little while. But, so he's he's got the more than a vote campaign or organization that he's for, uh, created, right? The, the one that's going to try and, and combat voter suppression, which is a, a massive, massive problem in the United States. I, like coming out of this, I I really do think that there's going to be a case 20 years from now that LeBron James's off the court legacy is far greater than his on court legacy. And it, it's something that's yet to be determined. And I know that there, there's probably someone that's rolling their eyes saying that or listening to me say that and say, come on, man, like he's arguably the greatest basketball player who ever lived. Relax. He's he's a basketball player. And that has propagated everything that has happened. Everything else has, has become out of that. But I really just do feel like LeBron's voice is, yeah, when you said Adam Silver's, I'm trying to think about, first of all, I think he's the most powerful athlete in the United States at this point, and he's not afraid to, to use his voice. And if you just look at people who actually have a lot of power when it comes to social change, where does LeBron rank amongst them with not only his capital, but his access to, to other people with it? The, the power of his voice, the the power, the amount of respect that he has from his colleagues and from fans alike. I, I just, yeah, I, I really do think that at the end of, you know, LeBron's career, 20, 30 years down the line, that he's 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 just going to be looked at differently, that that this has really been a, a, a big tipping point moment in his career. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that the league happens without him. I, I don't think that they come back. I think that so much of this is LeBron James, like Pat Beverly said, you referenced it on the last podcast. If if LeBron's playing, we're playing. Uh, everybody's falling in line with him. He's essentially, you know, he's the real commissioner at this point. Well, so just to underscore your point about his impact and his power being greater than his basketball career or legacy. And, and I actually don't even think he's the most powerful athlete in in america i think he's probably the most powerful athlete in the world like is there a soccer player that oh yeah um it wields more power and influence i don't think so i mean but in some countries for sure but yeah not like global reach no no chance so let's just look at his coronavirus pandemic impact right when everyone is kind of you know dialing it down a little bit you know staying inside he's not playing his actual sport let's see what he's done he put together a virtual graduation that was on virtually every network that he hosted um, that had every celebrity basically contributing to it mm -hmm. for free. You mentioned the more than a vote campaign. He got a hundred million dollars of seed money for a production company to tell untold stories that aren't being told by Hollywood. Of that company, 60% of the people working for it are people of color and 40% are women. Unheard of in any media business. And in fact, mm -hmm. the numbers are not even close to that. 
and he's basically given a blueprint alongside of Colin Kaepernick for athletes to speak out on social issues. And now we all see them making statements in the same way that LeBron's been making statements for the last five, six, seven years. And probably behind the scenes has been lockstep with Chris Paul on what the return to play format and scenario was going to be for players uh, coming back to play. This is all without touching a basketball. So yeah, I, I think his his impact is literally. I mean, I know his slogan is more than an athlete, but the, the the work certainly shows that that's the case. Yeah, and and the track record. There's just nothing you can poke holes in, which is makes it so much more powerful. Like you mentioned, it's the 10 year anniversary of the decision, and still to this day, it's the greatest blemish on LeBron James's resume. You can say. It's the the stuff with China and his unwillingness to speak out and to to use his voice in that arena. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't find it as easy to just to, to use this as the same thing. Like if you look at LeBron James within his own country, the way that he has tried to mobilize masses and pressure lawmakers and how unafraid he has been to use that voice. I, I just I don't think that you can compare him to any athlete. You're right. And, and probably globally. Um so, and we didn't even mention that we're doing this podcast today because the NBA is coming back. Because once again, you can also add that to his resume is like bringing back the NBA, being the voice that, you know, was the leader on the conference call with the star players talking about the return to play. And there were real moments where we didn't feel optimistic about basketball returning. And when did that change? It changed when LeBron James got on a phone call. It changed when LeBron James said, uh, I mean, we didn't hear it. But I'm guessing that it went something along the lines of discussing with guys how they felt about it and then sharing his opinion that they could get back and play where he's going to have a legitimate shot to win another uh, NBA championship. And that road starts against your Toronto Raptors on August 1st, 2020, on a Saturday, 830. Raptors fans love them some American national television. Well, guess what? You get it because the first game back is against the King. It's against LeBron James. The schedule has been released. The Raptors will play their eight games just like everybody else. And the Raptors goes as follows. It's a gauntlet. It goes Lakers, Heat, Magic, Celtics, Grizzlies, Bucks, Sixers, Nuggets to close it out. Donovan, when, when you saw this schedule and you started looking over this stuff, what, what was the first thing that came to mind? What, what did you first start thinking about? Well, I mean, I knew this was going to happen. I knew the Raptors were going to have a tough schedule. We talked about yep. it before, and we, we knew that it, just by default, because they had, I don't want to say an easy, but an easier schedule to finish the season, that by default, they were going to get hurt by not having an as easy schedule, because a bunch of the teams they were supposed to play are not uh, playing in Orlando. But you also knew that in order to make this, I guess, somewhat equitable because fair is not a, a realistic term mm -hmm. that a lot of the teams playing for seeding a lot of the lower seeds are going to be playing each other to make sure um that we get a true accurate assessment as to who deserves those final spots at the eight seven and, and six spot so ultimately luckily for the raptors they've been so good that they have a three game cushion on boston that they would have to really really fall apart to give up that lead which is not out of the realm of possibility because they have struggled against pretty good teams. The Raptors are 11 and 14 versus teams with a plus 500 record. Well, guess what? You're, that's basically who you're playing all the way through. And the, and the fact that 
you know, they were starting to become a good road team uh, after Thanksgiving. They were 14 and three on the road. And we already know what the home crowd at, at Scotiabank means to them, specifically in a playoff spot. Um, they lose that advantage of playing at home. Some of these other teams with no real home court advantage that they're about to play like Miami or Orlando and, you know, Memphis, um, that's all null and void because they're going to be playing in a sterile environment in an empty gym. So it kind of sucks for the Raptors that before they play really tough games in the playoffs, they have a stretch of really tough games, even though their playoff fate is pretty much sealed. Even if they fell to three, it's not the end of the world because, again, what that that game seven home court advantage that they'd have in the Eastern Conference semis finals would matter? No, it wouldn't because there is no such thing as home court. Um so, so yeah, I was not surprised, felt bad for them, but it is what it is. Yeah, see, I don't look at it about the, the home court advantage because, yeah, that's clearly gone in terms of the, the, the importance of the two seed. The importance of the two seed is that you avoid playing, you know, either the Pacers, Heat, or Sixers in, in the very first round of the NBA playoffs. And if that's the Sixers, I, I any one of those matchups is really tough. I think Oladipo is still a little bit up in the air as to whether he's going to be there. It's been pointed out by Wojnarowski that, you know, he's he's coming off a pretty significant injury, and the idea that he might take this off is is still up in the air. And that you know the date of well, I think it was June twenty third, where players had the opportunity to pull out. That it's a lot more fluid than we, or at least I'll speak for myself, than I gave it credit for. I really did think that that was kind of more of a hard target. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, no, this is the league of player empowerment. We already mentioned that there's a player in the league that has more power than the commissioner. If somebody wants to pull out later, um, it's not like the NBA is going to go and try and punish them or or try and make a farther reach than, I think it's the, uh, what is it, 14, not 14 even games without pay, 12 games without pay that guys can get hit with. So, they're not going to go past that. We could still see guys end up not playing here. But for the Raps, the, the two seed is still of critical importance. You know, you play a Brooklyn team that's not going to have Kyrie or Kevin Durant in the first round or a Magic team that you that you handled pretty, pretty easily last year. And even if you remember the one bad game Kawhi had in the first two rounds of the playoffs and, and Siakam took over, it's against an Orlando team that they clearly, clearly, clearly overmatch. So... Yeah, the two seed is important. The Raps, when we left off, were on a four-game winning streak. But I think that this is important context for this. When they left off, Pascal Siakam, over his last 10 games, was 23.5 points a game, 7.5 rebounds with four assists on 45-33-80 splits. Jason Tatum was 30 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists on 47-47-78 splits over his last 10 the Raptors are second in defensive rating. The Celtics are fourth. The Raptors are 12th in offensive rating. The Celtics are fifth. If you look at the Celtics schedule, it's pretty lean. It's Brooklyn, Memphis, Miami, Milwaukee, Orlando, Portland, Toronto, Washington. So when we're talking about, you know, teams not having to face the lesser lights of this thing, the Celtics, by my count, five of their eight games, they're big favorites. The Raptors, on the other hand, are only big favorites in two of their eight, which is basically the three games. So it, it does when I'm looking at this thing. I'm sure that Toronto will end up squeaking out some wins that that we don't, you know, maybe they're not favored in or that they're, they're slight favorites and they do win. But there's a pretty solid case to be made that just looking at this, it's all going to come down to the Raptors-Celtics game, that, that the winner of that one could really end up with that two seed. 
Yeah, I mean, there are some similarities in their schedules, which is, I guess, a plus. They both play Milwaukee, so that's a wash. They both play Orlando, so that's a wash. They both play Miami, so that's a wash. To me, the the Boston game really matters because, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you drop two games early in in the season, let's say you lose to the Lakers and you lose to Miami and you beat Orlando. Well, I mean, if you beat... Uh, Boston uh, and get another game up on them with with four games to go. I th- you're in good stead. The, the issue with the Celtics schedule is they finish with Memphis and they finish with Washington, two teams that could be playing for a spot in the playoffs. I don't think Washington will be. Memphis most likely will. Or because of this random you know play-in scenario where even if you're out of it, you got another chance depending on how many games you are back. Memphis might not really care about that game as much as we think. So it's tough to really assess what this means. Ultimately, the Raptors, their schedule is brutal. The 638 winning percentage um, are, are the, the teams that they're playing. Hardest strength to schedule when you look at um, opponents' win percentage. I do actually think, though, that they have a unique... Well, I mean, everyone has a benefit, but it's specifically a benefit for them given the way the season was going. Not relative to Boston, but relative to how they may have performed in the postseason if we just played this out uh, like a normal season. And that's, I'm not sure of another team, maybe the Sixers because of their stars and their health issues. But I'm not sure if there's another team that could benefit from this rest more than the Raptors. You took look at they lost more win shares due to injury than anyone else in the league. Now, all those guys get healthy. We know Kyle Lowry has broken down towards the end of the seasons. And one of my biggest beefs with Nick Nurse this year, but the only one, was that he was playing Lowry too many minutes. I had the question about Siakam. This is a, a bigger workload for him, more than he's ever had. How is he going to navigate that as the number one option for the first time, playing heavy minutes, going into the postseason? Well, he, he gets a little bit of a respite. And we've seen skinny Marcus All, who Tony Allen believes uh, is going to be really a much more of an offensive threat now that he's a little bit lighter. And let's also remember, Marcus All played a lot of basketball last year. He went to the finals for the first time in his career. Then he played in international basketball, and then has played throughout the the regular season. So giving him a little mini break, and then just say, okay big Spain you got to sprint to the finish for a potential second title which totally totally changes the way you're viewed and the in the way your career is viewed if, if Marcus all wins two championships he's a lock for the Hall of Fame it's not even a question uh so I I do actually think um that this break even though the raps as you mentioned were rolling going into it I, I think it actually helps them much more so than it does, you know, some of the younger teams that they're going to be playing, like uh, uh, or an Orlando um, or a Memphis. Yeah, I'm not worried about those young teams. I just I think this comes down to the Raptors versus the Celtics, and that you're bang on. Well, I consider them a young, young team, though. Who the Celtics? The Celtics, yeah, sure. The Celtics are a young team, but I'll just say this: I think that the Celtics are a better team than the Raptors right now. Like I just do. I think that they have the better star. I think that they have the best two players. On either team, they've got very similar depth. They've got very similar in terms of where their coaching's at. And that's just the way that I look at basketball is who's got the best player? Who's got the guy that late in the game that I can trust to get me a bucket? And I trust two guys on the Celtics to do that more than I trust anyone on the Raptors. Like, and I'm sorry, Raptors fans, but if 
you know, the, your, your life's on the line or a million dollars is on the line. And I gave you the option of Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum to get you that final bucket or Pascal Siakam, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum pick from the three. Uh, if you ended up with a third pick, I think everybody in knows that they would end up with Siakam. And so in a neutral environment where you're basically starting a brand new season, there's, there's a lot to wonder. It's just that you don't have home court advantage. You don't have the momentum of the season. And while the Raptors did benefit from some injuries in terms of being able to get healthy, get right, have Gasol get off his legs, have Lowry get off their legs, there's no doubt that those are important things. Norm Powell, we'll see if he can carry through what, what he had this season into this thing. Because again, it, it feels like a totally new year. But I still think it's more beneficial for stars to get right. And now Kemba Walker gets right. And so it's like, what's more valuable? You know, a couple of games off Marcus Gasol's legs and letting him get skinny and, and Norm Powell getting his shoulder right or Kemba Walker coming back at 100% health. I don't know, but I, I would just, I would lean to the star. Do you know what I feel most confident about when it comes to the Raptors though? It's, okay, you're going to laugh at this. It's the Rico Hines games. It's the fact that they do a lot of scrimmaging together, that these guys kind of travel together. They really seem to understand their pecking order that... There's been some questions throughout this regular season as to, you know, is it Kyle's team or is it Siakam's team? And when does that really become something? But for the most part, everybody really knows their roles. Everybody really knows the offense. Everybody really buys in on defense. And if teams come back and they're a little, they're a little rusty offensively, I could kind of see a team like the Raptors with their defense just kind of controlling and dominating some games. And then especially knowing that, hey, while we don't have the Jason Tatum or the Kemba Walker necessarily... We do have a bunch of different guys that can score. And so maybe Kyle doesn't have it to start. Maybe he's cold. Maybe Siakam doesn't come back and, and add something incredible, even though that's probably going to be one of the biggest topics moving forward. But just that the Raptors kind of don't need to rely on one guy coming back and looking incredible or one of two guys coming back and looking incredible. That their depth and their defense, I I think it's good enough that they're not going to drop three games in an eight-game schedule, even with a game in hand to Boston, even with them, I think, having a slight advantage in terms of just overall roster talent. How do you feel about the Rico Hines theory? So there's a lot there. I'm going to try to address it in order. One, you need to put a little bit more respect on Siakam's name. Uh, Tatum is a great offensive player. Jalen Brown is a great athlete. Pascal Siakam is an infinitely better defender than Jason Tatum is. And although Jalen Brown is a very good defender, I would say Pascal Siakam is a much more versatile defender. So I, I don't know if I would just use the counting stats and say uh, I would I'd put Tatum in a vacuum. I, I actually think that that's, that's much more of an up-in-the-air conversation. Let's not forget when we left off that it was Jason Tatum going head-to-head with Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James and looking like very much they're equal in, in both matchups. Like, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen the, the high level of play from Siakam consistently that we have seen from Jason Tatum. Like I saw Pascal Siakam nice. play pretty good in the NBA Finals. Sure. Uh, and I, I, with with a bunch of Hall of Famers, there were moments where he was the best player on the floor with the, with a uh probably future Hall of Famer, past defensive uh player of the year in Draymond Green checking him. Uh he was having his way with him. So, I don't know. I I just I I I have a little bit higher of an appraisal of Spicy P in in regard to. I just said I don't um, think he's as good as Jason Tatum and who and he doesn't score as well late as Kemba. Like I think Pascal's great too. Yeah, but you're mentioning Jalen Brown. I don't know. I I, I, I didn't I, mention Jalen Brown. You mentioned Jalen Brown. <laughs> I said that he's uh, if it's last bucket in a basketball game, which of those three guys are you going to pick? Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, or Pascal Siakam, that no one's having the conversation about Siakam. It's between the other two guys. 
period. Sure, but if the Raptors beat the Celtics by 10, the last bucket doesn't matter. I, all sure. I'm saying is if you look at – if we looked at the, the, the starting rotations or the, the depth charts of the Celtics v. Raptors going into this season, going into last season, going into the last five or six seasons, we would mm-hmm. kind of always say, and many people have always said – Oh, the Celtics, man, the Celtics, so many options, so talented. And after every year, after the long sample size, that is the regular season and the playoffs, the Raptors have been better and they've been better throughout this regular season by not a small margin, three games. So, so I'm just but that's saying the schedule. Even- that's not the, the actual statistics. The statistics will tell you that the Celtics are the better team, that they've just had a, that they've had a more difficult schedule. And like, if you look at this thing, it's like, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. Like, I'm just saying that the three games is not a definitive proof that the Raptors are a better team than Boston this year. They're very close. They're very close. Like I said, one is second, one is fourth in defensive rating. One is fifth and one is, uh, I think, 11th in offensive rating. Like, they're comparable teams. They're top 10 teams. But if we're talking about, like, who's better, I actually think it's it's really hard to make, like, a definitive argument that like either is, and I, I just don't look at the regular season standings at this point in a non-complete season and go, well, this is proof positive that like, are we, are you sure the Lakers are better than the Clippers? I mean, no, but the Clippers have, have not played their best players for mm-hmm. huge stretches. So, uh, so no, I'm, I'm not, but, but Sorry, anyways, l- l- let's, let's not get, let's not get bogged down on that. And in, in terms of the Raptors and, you know, this format, the fact that this is just an AAU tournament mm-hmm. that is going to be different from all of the normal rhythms that NBA seasons or NBA playoffs have, I think benefits the Raptors in this way. NBA players and NBA teams, NBA franchises are creatures of habit. Who's the guy who's working me out pregame? When am I getting my pregame meal? What times are the game games are? It's very ritualistic. The Raptors as an organization they frown on on habits. Their culture is making sure that everyone is uncomfortable all of the time. We're going to change our starting lineups depending on the matchups. We're going to change our rotation, sometimes mattingly, even when from the outside looking in, it doesn't make sense. They seem to thrive in chaos because that's the way things are all the time. The way practices are set up, the drills that are run, who is playing with who. And so the fact that this is going to be different, the fact that you know maybe you're not going to get your shots up with Big Cat, you're going to get your shots up with Patrick Matumbo, is not going to be a huge deal because that's just the way things are. In many ways, they're like a mid-major college team that just has to figure things out on the fly. And I do think that we're going to eventually hear stories about how frustrated guys are with the fact that they've got two o'clock games midweek and the fact that they're being bused to the facility and they're not there two or three hours ahead of time to get their shots up because there's another game that's being played like it is actually an AU tournament. Those things are going to happen at, at some point because many of the people we're talking about are not just creatures of habit. They're also divas. And I do think that the, the Raptors having a basically no diva policy in their organization will benefit them in ways that are kind of soft. They're, they're not tangible in, in the sense that you can point them out specifically in a moment, but I do think they accrue over time. And that's why I actually like them in a big way to feast in what will be a, a weird, weird scenario. Yeah. So you're kind of buying into a little bit of the Rico Hines thing too, which is that 
these guys not only have won a championship together, that this is largely the, the same core that won a championship, but that, yeah, that they've spent the summers developing together as well. Like, outside of a few of their veterans, their young pieces play together and stay together all the time, that they're friends with one another, that if we are looking at reasons for division, they are few and far between. What's been the biggest piece of drama from the Raptors season this year in terms of between the players? It's been a joking skit between OG and Anobi and Serge Ibaka about who wears better scarves. Like, that's it. <laughs> There's no, unless I'm missing something, unless you know something I don't about maybe you know, Chris Boucher not being happy with his minutes on the bench. That was their biggest controversy was him going and getting groceries in the pandemic while he's on, while he's supposed to be on lockdown for two weeks or two weeks quarantine. But you're right. This team is close and this team plays defense and they buy in and they have a bunch of different options. And I can see the case for them. I can see a little bit of the case against, but ultimately just they're a really good basketball team. And so, yeah, when we're looking at, can you drop three over eight games? I, I have a hard time seeing it. But I didn't think about one thing that you did mention, which is the end of Boston's schedule is going to be against teams that may have packed it in. And that it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in a fantasy league, when you have the crappy teams that that don't really fill out their rosters and it drives you crazy and you have to text the guy or call the guy and be like, please, man, fill out your fantasy lineup because I'm trying to get in the playoffs and you're going to give one of my competitors a walk away win. That's kind of how this is going to feel at the end of this whole thing is yeah, what are the Wizards going to do? What Maybe Memphis is out of it. Maybe a team like Milwaukee, I know that they, they play, I think, the Raptors the third last game, but maybe they're just locked into their one seed and they're not playing Giannis at that point. That there's going to be some weird stuff that happens at the end of that that is going to allow some teams to shuffle up based on the uh, the, the pack-in theory, the fantasy theory. Who's who's that guy in your league? Uh, I don't even remember because I, I can't remember the last time I filled out a fantasy lineup. To be What? Honest. You're not a fantasy football guy? I thought you were. No, I, I, I'm a fantasy everything guy. But we haven't had any oh. sports, never mind fantasy sports, for three months, for a quarter of a year. So, so, so okay, I apologize yeah. if I don't no, remember. you're right. You're right. That's, um, that's fair. You know, Raptors finish with Milwaukee, Philly, yeah. Denver. All playoff teams. Yeah. All teams that... I mean, Milwaukee, as Milwaukee you might, put yeah. it. They, they, I mean, if, if they are playing for seeding, it will be to stay away from the Raptors. So that game really could matter for both teams. Uh, Philly, you'd assume, will be playing for, for seeding still. But again, in, and this is why this whole thing is weird, because at some point, what does seeding matter? Like mm -hmm. if you are three or four or five or six in the East, does it matter? If you're Denver, if no, you're three or four or five or six, doesn't matter. But even the matchups, like, do they do? Do we know like if what who's going to be you know that much better to play in this weird scenario? Like I I I, I, I don't want to play. Side of obviously you don't want to play. When you're you're correct. I I do. But I'm we're talking about the Sixers caring about who they play. Yeah, yeah. In this thought experiment, but in the in the in the West, like outside of the Lakers and the Clippers, I say again, does it matter? Would you rather play the Rockets or the the nuggets i don't know like what what's the difference I, I i to be honest in a weird way a team like the thunder honestly scares me so i i just don't know if seeding is going to matter i could I, to be quite honest i could see a lot of teams in the middle of um their playoff seeding and, and remember because a lot of times you're playing for home court not just for the advantage on the basketball court you're playing for the fiscal advantage for an extra home date for an extra box office for your for your owner um 
that clearly does not matter in this case. So it, I could see a bunch of teams in the middle of the standings, three or four or five games into this thing, saying like, yeah, the playoffs are going to be really tough. Let's just let's just shut it down and you know play fringe guys to see if they're going to make our rotation to see if they're in shape. But like, here are the standings in the in the in the West. Lakers one, Clippers two, Nuggets three, Jazz four, Thunder five, Rockets six, Mavericks seven, uh, Memphis eight. Is there a big difference between the Nuggets and the Jazz and the Thunder and the Rockets? I, I, I to be honest, I might be the most afraid of the Rockets, who are sixth in that scenario. So uh, similarly in in the East, Philly is six. They scare me more than Miami and Indiana do. So yeah, I I could I, I could see these eight games only mattering to the teams fighting to get in the playoffs, not the ones who are already punching their ticket. Yeah, you you make a pretty good case about the teams in the West and and the way that they're going to jumble out. I would just say that yeah, for for them uh, probably I, I would guess that it'd be more about yeah trying to find a way to avoid the Clippers if the Clippers fall into a three seed, which is which is definitely possible. Um. I think that yeah, They're Dallas two and a half games up on on Denver or right. the Clippers, but the, Which, I mean, even if you look at the the Clippers, yeah. seven right now is Dallas. That's who they'd play in the first round. Do you think the Clippers care if they play Dallas or Memphis? Do you think they're really saying we got to catch the Lakers? No, no, so no. I'm not. I don't John think they're trying to catch the Lakers, but I do think that they would like to maintain the two seed for sure. Like I like even you just look at Dallas. There's the reports of let's say it does stay Dallas again. They could jump up too. There's reports that Luka Doncic is not in great shape. They lost Courtney Lee, who, whatever, it's Courtney Lee, but you're still, you still lost a rotation piece for your team. Um, yeah, I, I still think that you want to face a more inexperienced Dallas team than, than any of those other groups. That, like, there's a bit of a drop-off there, especially if Luka isn't in great shape. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. Hold on one second. Let me ask yeah. you a dumb question, and I'm yeah. I'm ashamed that I don't know this. Have they decided? Are they reseeding? I only ask because that is the only reason why teams would care where they finish. Because, for example, if you are the Clippers, you you would want to stay at two and not fall to three because you would want to delay when you play the Lakers as long as possible, right? So, in that sort of scenario, staying on one side of the bracket would would be meaningful in a way that it wouldn't if, if you're boston you eat if you can't catch toronto for two well, you don't mind staying at three but you may not want to fall to four because you don't necessarily want to play Giannis in the bucks so that's a scenario where people may care where they fall but other than that i, I don't think anyone's going to really care no yeah they did they, they stuck with the bracket because they didn't recede and so there wasn't a point to recede if they move forward but yeah so it is going to stay a bracket I just still think that some teams are going to be jockeying for it. Some teams are still going to be looking to jump up, and some teams are going to look at their advantages and their matchups and say, "This is who I want to jump. This is who I want to play. This is who we want in the first round." And 
I, I like that you touched on something there that I hadn't thought about either, which is, okay, some of those last few games where it might be meaningless for you, you know what it could be a little bit meaningful for? Um, making sure that some of the guys on the end of your bench end up actually getting reps because you're a little bit more worried about injuries. I know that some teams are. And yeah, what happens if your team does get hit with a bit of an outbreak and you have to go further down your bench? Like, look at what benefits happened for the Raptors this season by having to see what they or getting to see what they had in Chris Boucher and Terrence Davis. That those two guys having to actually play some extended minutes and some meaningful minutes. And yeah, that now you kind of feel as though if they have to step into a basketball game, Terrence Davis will be a wild card throughout this entire thing. And we'll go back to debating his minutes and his role at some point. But you're going to feel pretty confident about relying on Terrence Davis for a bucket if you need to at some point in this thing. If somebody does go down, if Powell does suffer another injury, or who knows, one of the other Raptors goes down, you feel pretty good about him. You know that Chris Boucher can give you a solid eight minutes. Like, that's a real thing. He can give you eight minutes in a basketball game where he can come in, step in, make a shot, block a shot, get you a rebound, fill the lane, do all of those things, have a little bit of chemistry with the starters. All that stuff is actually there. You're not going to have a training camp you're going to have guys kind of playing on the fly. Some younger players are going to come back and show you a little bit more. This is, again, a new season. So having some games later where your team is, say, quote unquote, locked into a spot, you might want to take a look at someone who arrived and said, you know, I've been really working on my jumper the last couple of months. I've had access to a gym. I've been working with my trainer. I feel like I've really taken a step. Oh, really? Well, let's see it because we're not going to have a ton of scrimmage time to find it out. But here's a real game application where we can actually see if maybe somehow you are our ninth man, you are our 10th man, you you can fill a few minutes for us. So yeah, there's going to be a whole bunch of reasons why teams decide we're shutting guys down for health. Uh, we are not jockeying for seating and we are playing a little bit of a different rotation, a wonky rotation, because this is all very, very different. It's going to be fun, man. Like this whole thing has so many different questions about it because again, it is a new season because there is no home court advantage because it is a gauntlet schedule where a team like the Raptors, as you mentioned, who hasn't done very well against good teams this year, has to just play only good teams for eight games leading into the playoffs and really test themselves and push themselves. I, I'm so excited for this. Like, please, Florida, wear your mask, socially distance, figure out a way that this thing doesn't get shut down because, yeah, there's just a billion different things. What does Pascal Siakam look like? He's a guy who spent his entire career making a huge leap every offseason. Here he is another offseason. Like, is it out of the realm of possibility that his jump shot is way better? That, that all of a sudden he's feeling more consistent from mid-range? Like, no, of course not. Like, it's just, this is fascinating. I, as a basketball fan, I, I could not be more geeked up for it. Uh, anything else you want to do just before we quickly talk about Vince? Uh, only the other thing is, so there's a report that potentially, and this is, again, Chris Paul and LeBron being behind it and working with Adam Silver as a partner, um, potentially that players could have a social message on their jerseys instead of, you know, their their last name. So not he hate me. This is not at the XFL, but maybe, um, you know, uh, say her name or uh, justice for Breonna Taylor, something along those lines. I would love it if one of the Raptors making sure that these causes are social and specific to, you know, the place that they're representing. I love it if one of the Raptors doesn't just have causes that are close to them about Black Lives Mattering or about the, the fallen people who, who have been lost, like George Floyd, obviously, or Ahmaud Arbery. I'd love it if not only we, we saw some Canadian names, I'd love it if we saw some Indigenous names, if we saw someone, you know, representing for the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Um, so I hope the 
NBA does something. I hope they do much more than that. And there's been some other ideas floated. Maybe every commercial break, you know, there's a, a different vignette or a PSA with a player talking about what what racist treatment they've dealt with or what racism looks like to them. Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be stuff on the courts. I'm sure they'll be wearing, um, you know, branded clothing and whatnot. Um, but I'm really interested to see what else the league does and the Raptors specifically. They have the opportunity to to speak to some causes that are specific to their Canadian audience, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Yeah, um, the NBA and NBA PA have been talking about uh, ways to foster and and showcase um, their feelings uh, about social justice efforts moving forward here in these postseason. And I haven't seen any plans that were finalized as of right now, but I did read a statement recently that said that that they they had a, a broad alignment about the direction and priorities. So you would think that guys are going to have yeah, a lot a, a lot of freedom and that you will see you will see a lot of different expressions, you will see a lot of different statements made. And again, that's going to be very important for a lot of these players and for the league because they they really I do think that a lot of NBA players are, are rightfully very concerned about the distraction element and that a big part of this is is getting the most out of this platform. Um before we go Vince Carter retires officially. We've done a billion different Vince Carter podcasts, so I, I don't want to do this long um, because we've, we've both made our, our sentiments about the guy pretty clear. I just wanted to reference this article that Eric Kareen wrote uh, about, uh, about a, well, when did Vince retire? Has it been a week now? It's been a little bit after we recorded our last podcast, so I'll say five days. It's been five or four days since Vince Carter retired. He wrote a piece basically outlining this is the case. He took a player, he took a fan poll, and out of 1,300 fans, uh, about one in four answered that they have not forgiven Vince Carter. And we've both said that the player should be recognized by the franchise. He's been recognized plenty of times. It's very clear that at some point his number will probably go up in the rafters or he'll have some type of, of honoring around the stadium. There's going to be something for Vince Carter. But essentially, just that in all of this, Vince Carter, despite all the forgiveness from the fan base and the fact that, you know, over 70% of the fans have come around on Vince, that he's really never owned his end of the departure from the franchise. And whether you think that's being petty or whether you think that's a big deal or not, that Vince Carter has never said that he shares culpability for this thing. He's referenced, you know, being young, which again is fair. But this is a quote that he gave the All the Smoke podcast with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. It's, quote, they made it look like I didn't want to I don't want to be here, end quote. And that was in reference to saying that he thought that they brought in Chris Bosh and they wanted Chris Bosh to be the guy and that they didn't really cater to him anymore and didn't want him to be the face of the franchise. And frankly, none of that is true. Like whatever you feel about Vince Carter there's no debate. The guy checked out for the last 25 games of his career as a Toronto Raptor, that he was not happy in the city and that he demanded that he wanted to trade. And we can talk about the rumors about all the different stuff, whatever. We already have gone over these things, but do not think it just makes sense at some point for Vince. And this is regardless of the retirement or any of these things, but for Vince Carter at some point to just acknowledge that portion of the Raptors fan base and say, Hey, you know what? I was young. I was frustrated. I wanted out of town. Uh, I wish I could have done things a little bit differently, but I own my part of this rather than just continue to put it on the Raptors and to put it on, on Rob Babcock and, and, and the organization. Is that a fair request? Because I think it is. I mean, meh. Like uh, Sam Mitchell claims that at the time Vince 
you know, didn't want out and that he was um, working, you know, the, the back channels to, to stay and to, come to on, not man, be traded. No. Come on. And, well, but, well, but why would Sam Mitchell, who I know, uh, but allegedly on, you were there, tried to like, fight him? We do this revisionist history. No, I, I wasn't there, though, which is, which is so exactly So do you think Vince Carter was trying his, like, Vince Carter was giving it all, his, his all, his last year with the Raptors, that that guy was not quitting? I, I, Jumper's I, knee and everything like that. He was just he was all in with the raps and that this is all a big misunderstanding. Like, come on. They traded a rap. They, they traded the biggest iconic player in the history of the franchise who made them relevant for a, a sack of beans. And it's because they just wanted him out of town. Like, come on, man. That's what I'm saying. Well, this revisionist well, who, history with who, him is ridiculous. Well, who told them to trade him for a sack of beans? And Sam Mitchell and Jalen Rose, who both were there. Yeah. Claim that he was he was he being Vince was being smeared and that there were there were political issues like his uh, level of influence within the organization, the role that his mother played that were bigger than his actual basketball playing. This is Sam Mitchell who like wasn't even playing him that was benching him. Who, but dude, you're conflating so, the issue here. You're conflating the issue. It's just simple. This is a simple. Does he not own some part of this? No, because I, is everyone else who was a, a, a part of the Raptors organization that was a tire fire at the time? Are they all going to have a Mia Culpa? And they're not going to have their jerseys retired. They didn't just retire. They're not the they're not the player. They don't. We just talk about this. this is a, this is a league where players matter and everyone else is very very secondary and basically irrelevant. This is a play. This is a league where player empowerment is paramount. And in a place where Vince Carter left the Toronto Raptors organization and said that he was just being smeared. And that he did want to be there and propagating this idea that he was all in on Toronto rather than just saying, again, I'm not asking him to get on his knees and beg for forgiveness. I just don't understand the resistance to saying, hey, I wish I handled things a little bit differently and I own my part in this because I'm sorry. Things like this well, do not happen that. in He's, a vacuum. He said that no, he, he didn't hasn't. give his all the entire he didn't say he didn't give his all the entire time? No. He didn't say that to John Thompson? Of course he did. I, he said I it a long time ago. I have not seen Vince Carter say that he owns any responsibility for what happens in Toronto, ever. It's not documented. I'm good. I don't I don't need Vince to apologize. I There are, are people who were there who feel like his role uh, has been made bigger than it actually was. And I'm good. I, I, it, he doesn't have to do that for me because there's a long list of people who, f from my perspective, were much bigger reasons why the franchise sucked at the time. Oh. So I, I think that there's a case for where the franchise was at. Like, this isn't a defense of what the Raptors have done before Masai Ujiri, other than maybe, you know, the one Colangelo year um, where he wins executive of the year and he really finds people in Europe the the organization has not done well between Vince's graduation ceremony and, and present day or until Masai Ujiri. Like that's not up for debate. I do think that the organization bears a lot of responsibility and I don't think that it was all Vince Carter. And I do think that in the moment, Vince Carter probably got too much of the brunt than he was deserved of like when it was, you know, the baby stuff and him coming to town and being booed and being hated and being public number enemy number one. That yes, of course, that's part of being a fan when someone leaves you, but also that, yeah, I, I don't think that enough attention at the time was turned towards the organization and the job they had done. That's all very true. I just don't think that things like this happen without a star player um, acting the way that he did. And I think that Vince Carter, the way that he played in his ten the final tenure of his, you know, part of his Raptors career was pretty awful. 
and that we do this thing now because we have short memories and the Raptors organization is in a really good place where we forget how damaging that that could have been to the franchise and how it was damaging to the franchise. And that I don't care really. I don't need it either. Like I'm, I'm same as you. Ultimately, I'm good. I just don't understand the downside for Vince. I just don't understand at this point for him not to just say like, hey, um, I made some mistakes and, and I own them because I think that's what everyone should do. I think that when you own mistakes and you're young and you're immature, um, you should just own them. And that's the best way for everyone to move on. And the only reason that this wound continues to be a little bit festering for, yeah, again, 25% of of the Raptors fan base, the the ones that are a little bit older, is because Vince has just never, he's kind of played it off as though he was completely screwed over. And it's like, yeah, man, just can't be that way. <laughs> it wasn't that way. And I remember it wasn't that way. I was there. I, I watched those games. I watched Vince Carter play the way that he did. I watched him sulk. I watched him lay down. I watched him over-exaggerate injuries. I, I watched him completely quit. I don't care if he didn't tell Richard Lewis to play, whatever, flair. Who cares even if he did? But I watched him quit at the end of that basketball game. I watched the way that he performed. I remember it still to this day. I just don't get it. Just own it. Move on. Own your mistake and move on. Yeah, I, I don't. It, it, the, the fundamental difference is the wound is not festering for me. I, and I think there's yeah. a large part of the franchise fan base where it's not festering. And it's, I don't even know if it's about age because I'm older than you and, and yeah. I don't have an issue with it. But the, the fact that, you know, the Vince Carter effect documentary happens and it's sold out and people are acting in the, in the audience as if they're watching a live sporting event, wearing his jersey and cheering and going nuts. I think there's a lot of people who have um, there are. been able to reconcile with it and compartmentalize the good times from the bad times. I mean, if we're going to ask for you know apologies is chris bosh gonna apologize because his ending wasn't 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 neat either uh, is, is scotty pippen gonna apologize to bulls fans his, his ending was was ugly as well i just i i don't i don't think if vince wants to do it on his own accord sure but i don't think as a fan base they're owed anything from from, from vince yeah um i don't think they're owed either i think it would be on vince's own accord it's just that would truly be the advice i would give him and I just thought that the Korean piece was very solid. I thought the cases were at, like very good. And after I'd reflected on it and thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know what? That's exactly how I feel about just life in general. I just think that people make mistakes. People act immaturely in their 20s. Vince Carter was 27 years old when he asked to be out of Toronto or when he wanted out. And I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm with you. Like I'm completely over it. Like It doesn't really fester for me. But is there a small part of me that's like, hey, um... This is very simple and this is very straightforward. And you are going to go in and be one of this franchise's most iconic players ever, regardless of the history of the the group. You're the you're the first. You're the first love of this franchise. You always will be. And why not make it as drama free as possible? And the only way to do that is to be like, yeah, you know what? I was a part of the exit. Like it wasn't just that I was they were out to get me, the superstar player who they were making, you know, millions and millions of dollars off of and who the franchise loved uh, with everything. Like, that's all. Uh, and yeah, I don't think that it was the same way with Chris Bosh, um, even though his exit was also bad. He could have let them trade him. Although I do you remember what that trade was supposed to be. Do you remember the rumored thing that they said they could get for for, for Chris Bosh? I'm forgetting what it was, but it turned out to be I think it was Andrew Bynum. I think it was like they had a Bosch from Bynum trade lined up and that Bosch was like, I'm not sure. And so they didn't do it. So it's like, eh, you know, you you didn't really miss out on too much. 
Yeah, that's what it was inside the NBA. Bosch or Bynum. Could have had Andrew Bynum for a couple of years. Would have been nice. Could have overpaid him. So maybe Bosch did us a favor. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good without the Bynum experience. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, what are you watching on TV right now? Are you, are, are you actually out in the sunshine now that, it's, uh, that uh, you know, you can be outside, you got your group of 10. What, what are you doing? Uh, dating Around, season two. Netflix series. I thought Blind that's Date. what you were saying you were doing. I was like, wow, no, that's very progressive no. of you guys to have no. a kid. And now you're like, all right, I'm going to date around a little bit. No, well, watching Dating Around with my okay. uh, wife, which in which I have a, uh, a strictly platonic relationship with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, blind Date. Uh, you go on the Blind Date with five people, exact same restaurant, uh, exact same scenario. And then at the end, it's revealed which of the five you go on the second date with it sounds kind of corny but the production level is, is next level um i've been watching two things one is called uh the man in the high castle it's an amazon uh show where it's as though uh the nazis and japan won world war ii and they've got an occupation in the united states it's okay it's a little slow moving it's a little much like um I'm already too invested though to bail, right? Like I finished the first season, now I'm in it. But the other thing that I'm really, I, I enjoy a little bit more if I'm being quite honest is The Floor is Lava. Have you seen any of The Floor is Lava? Never heard of it. Really? Okay, it's just an obstacle course. It's just the floor, it's literally what I said it is. The Floor is Lava and it's groups of three and they have to try to get through the obstacle course without falling in the, the lava. Highly recommend. Just mind-numbing, easy, throw it on, background noise end up paying a little bit of attention wonder if you could complete the optical course obstacle course stuff i think that you'd be a part of sportsnet team i think you would i think that i think grange he's tall if we needed three i think you you're it's still in great shape you're I'm trying to think of who runs more than you like maybe ivanka osmax she would be on the team tall athletic runner ben nicholson smith oh yeah he would be does he run yeah he does run actually too right yeah, he does. Yeah, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Tall is good because it's just like it's a lot of jumping across things and traversing things. So, you know what? Maybe uh, maybe you and I actually wouldn't make the cut. Maybe they would just go with Grange, Ivanka, and Ben Nicholson-Smith. That actually seems like a pretty like tall runner. That seems like a pretty good team. Grange screaming at everybody, being over-the-top competitive. That, that works for me, actually. All right, that's our Floors Lava team. Watch Floors Lava. Check it out. I actually want to see uh, Dating Around. That, that sounds like Blind Date, which I just used to like back in the day. So, sounds good by me. Roger Lodge. He's in this too? No, but he, oh. was, he was on Blind Day. <laughs> I know, Scott got so excited. I was just like, oh my God, I'm definitely in on this now. Uh, please subscribe, please review, please do all those things. Again, we're on Spotify now for those of you that don't already know, uh, and you can follow us there as, as well. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks to producer Michael, who just finished his move and or is starting his move and doing this thing right now. Uh, he still made time to, to edit this thing and get it up for all the associates. Uh, we appreciate you all. Catch you next week. Peace.